Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. We won't save the planet by recycling 50% of our waste. We save it by not creating waste. Season two goes heavily into circular business models and innovation while creating a space to discuss issues important to our society, like education. Join me and my guest as we explore and create pathways toward a future for the planet. Hi, Salima, and welcome to Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. So Salima, for everyone who's listening, is an award-winning serial entrepreneur, keynote speaker, professor, and the author of Innovation Starts with I. She's the founder and CEO of Ripple Impact, which helps entrepreneurs increase their influence and impact through accelerating the growth of their platforms and businesses. She also teaches design thinking and entrepreneurship at Johns Hopkins University and is a frequent guest lecturer at business schools. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. You must be so chuffed and excited about the launch of your new book. Why don't you tell us a bit about the journey to bring this book to life? Yeah, sure. So it depends on how far you want me to go back, but the journey essentially started in 2014 when I I decided I wanted to write a book with a friend and um, I ended up parking the project and put it was an idea. And, you know, we had written some Google documents and started, you know, going for coffees with my friend and I asked him to co-author with me. And, uh, you know, I, I was in an interesting phase of my life because I had been an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur in the past. And then I, for me, it was not about being an entrepreneur. It was about having the dream job. And when I got the dream job, I realized it wasn't the job that I, you know, it wasn't as dreamy as I thought it was. And so uh, I was trying to find my inner, I was trying to help other people unleash their inner entrepreneur while I was also trying to unleash it within myself and figure out how do I become an entrepreneur again? How do I come up with a great idea? Uh, I would spend a lot of my nights on Google trying to figure out what are the trends, what are problems I can solve, what kind of business I should go into. And I was looking outward, you know, I was looking outside and not looking within myself. And the very same problem I was trying to solve for other people, I needed to solve for myself. And so my friend ended up telling me, hey, Salima, I think you need more, you know, you need to live a little bit more before you're ready to write this book. And he was right. You know, it was hard to hear it at the time. But I said, you know, maybe I just don't have it in me right now to do this. And then I had a whole journey, which I talk about in my book, a whole transformative journey when I went through a whole, uh, I evolved into this a next version of myself and uh there was a whole like uh life quake you know my life had a, a crash and everything kind of fell apart and, and piece by piece and, and I go into detail about that in the book and it was only until five years it was about five years later when I picked up the book project again uh when I decided you know people were wanting to hear my story people were wanting to learn from me I was already teaching at that point so I was already you know doing a lot of the speaking and a lot of um getting myself out there to share my story and it was then that I had the confidence and um, I decided, yes, it's time to do it. But again, I didn't know how to do it on my own because I didn't have a co-author and I didn't, I knew I had to write it on my own, but I, I, I got stuck and I said, well, I do, you know, I did what I do best, which is build a team and put a team together to get the help I need on the things that I, I suck at or I'm not great at so that I can focus on the thing that I'm great at. But then again, I got stuck again on the writing process because I was like, who am I writing this for? Like, how do I, where do you start a book? Is, it's not like writing an article. It's, it's a lot of work. So I ended up, um, you know, deciding to interview people. I got inspired. Um, I had this uh, process called the 100 Coffee Challenge, which I used during my life quake to go out and get a job 
Um, when I was stuck and I had two weeks to find a job that would sponsor my visa here in the United States. And I used that same process. I use that for many different things. And I, and other people, my students and interns use that process as well, uh, to go and have a hundred coffees with people. So, uh, you learn a lot about yourself through that process. I, it's, I call it active introspection by going out and talking to people. You learn a lot about yourself. It's not just looking inward. It's getting insights about yourself through and your blind spots, especially by having those conversations with other people. And it, I did that same process with my book. I decided to interview 100 people. So I interviewed people from all walks of life, a lot of innovators, entrepreneurs, leaders, even you know Ariana Huffington, Alex Ochterwalder, who created the Business Model Canvas, and just a lot of really interesting people. And that made me that inspired me to write and to put all those insights together. And and that's like essentially the the beginning of the book journey was uh, I would say finding myself through other people and um, living my story and then being able to write about it through getting inspired through those conversations. And what made you want to do entrepreneurship? Why, why was this something that, that consumed you? Hmm. Yeah, for me, it was really just, you know, I, I've always, it's, it's how I started my career. So it's familiar to me because I, you know, I graduated during a financial crisis in 2009 from university and couldn't find a job and so I ended up going to Brazil to do some volunteer work uh, and you know get some more international experience and it was interesting because I uh, was supposed to work in an orphanage and then last minute my boss in Brazil called me and said you know before you come to Brazil I just want to let you know you're not going to come to the orphanage just yet you're going to be in Rio de Janeiro and you're going to start this language school because the situation isn't great at the orphanage and, uh, you know, we need to have more funding to, to help us, you know, run our operations. And so I was put into Rio at age 21 <laughs> and had to start the school in Brazil, which, you know, isn't, you know, Brazil at the time, it was not easy to do, to do something like that and to get something started, especially a business, um, you know, that with, with the very little resources that we had and just the situation we lived in, you know, we didn't have water most days. We had, uh, I was living in a really cramped uh, room with bunk beds with other volunteers that were coming in and out. And it was just a really uncomfortable situation and not having the water, not having internet, all those things. I was just working all the time in the school, trying to get it to be successful. And it was there that I learned a lot about entrepreneurship because, and all the failure as well, because we had a business model that was like, let's teach all these languages to these different, you know, students, we were a bunch of foreign volunteers, but we realized that that was a model for failure because it wasn't uh, a niche enough. And it was, we were getting a lot of, uh, we weren't getting enough students. Our classrooms were almost empty, but it was just like all our group classes were turning into private lessons. So we ended up, uh, you know, really taking a look at what we could do. And we said, well, what can we do? And so we decided to test this idea of just focusing on Portuguese for foreigners and getting rid of all those other languages, Italian, French, Spanish, et cetera. And it was when we made that pivot and we reinvented ourselves, uh, we were like, wow, this, it, the school took off. And now it's, you know, one of the top rated schools in Brazil for, for learning Portuguese and it wins awards consistently. And it all just started with that little project. And, and I, again, I was a co-founder, but I, it, you know, it wasn't my idea I was executing. And so because I started my career um, with that project, I learned everything. I learned how to you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable. I learned about how to start a business from the ground up. And I carried that on with me. So when I went to Italy, that's another story. I started a translation business and that was how I survived was you know, starting these businesses. Even though I didn't call myself an entrepreneur, 
Um, I'd say probably more like a creator or whatever you want to call it, but I, I never really labeled it because for me, I was actually embarrassed that I couldn't get a job and this is what I had to do. And so when I started graduate school, I didn't even tell a lot of people that I was running these businesses um, because it was for me, I I'd failed. I didn't get the job that I thought I was going to get after college. And so it was only when I came to the United States and that's when I was like, hmm, entrepreneurship is not such a bad thing. Like it actually sounds, I I've done it before. And when I tried the corporate thing and I tried, you know, to work uh, in, a, in a nine to five for a few years. And I was like, I really miss that that level of, you know, that the creativity that would unleash and the lifestyle that I had and the, the freedom, the, uh, it was a lot of work. I'm not saying, you know, I probably work a lot more being an entrepreneur, but there was a certain, um, you know, I could, I could really embrace myself and my skills and being myself. And I think because we're evolving as humans at such a fast pace and we're in this reinvention revolution where we're trying, we, we need to reinvent ourselves faster and more frequently than ever before. And so I think because of that, growth that the pace of growth uh, that we are seeing right now um yeah i would say that I, I love being an entrepreneur but i also love being an entrepreneur so i always do both i never just do one or the other I'm always um i call it in my book hybridpreneurship where you're embracing you know being in um you know it doesn't have to be a corporate setting it could be doing consulting work on certain projects but i always think it's, it's very important to contribute to the larger organizations because that will bring value you're learning in both areas but you're you know maybe getting more training and maybe doing uh, things that you wouldn't, you know, you're trying to upskill yourself in, in one of your projects or whatever. So I think it's important to embrace both, uh, to manage that risk. And I think just sole entrepreneurship is very glorified and, and most people can't just do it. So. No, that's, that's so true. I think one of the other things that's become more and more clear is that in innovation doesn't start with entrepreneurs necessarily, right? Employees are innovators every day. And and I wanted to get into that because I know you, that you have some great advice for that in your book. Like, would, what would you do to steer people, employees, to become more creative, to express that creativity, to take chances? Mm, great question. I think the first thing to do is to start looking inward. And that's what my book talks a lot about is innovation starts with I. It's, it's even though it happens with we, you know, and anything that I did, if I did it alone, I failed at it. I failed miserably. All those things I did alone. It was only when I had a team, a community, uh, you know, a group of people or a support network around me. And so I think ultimately you do have to start with yourself. And if you look at some of the best innovators and looking at like Steve Jobs, his, his uh, you know, journey of enlightenment or transformation happened in India. And that's when he got the, you know, that's when he came back and he was all rejuvenated and was able to um, really, you know, innovate with his work at Apple. And so I think oftentimes we focus on the final product or the invention, and we don't put enough emphasis on that personal transformation journey that has to happen. And so for employees, I think we need to first drop those labels of, you know, employees and entrepreneurs, because I think, you know, why are there so many entrepreneurs that are failing and so many employees that it's hard to retain them. And it's just like, we need to try to, even like the entrepreneur and entrepreneur thing, I was like, there's all these labels that sometimes people feel like they're, um, you know, even as an employee, I was like, oh, like I'm not successful unless I'm an entrepreneur, because that here, at least that was what was considered cool and successful. Um, and then, uh, you know, if, if, if I was just an entrepreneur that was failing, it was like, oh, like, you know, it, it's just interesting because I think we, we use these labels and they have certain connotations. Um, and so I think, first of all, dropping the titles, I think everyone should just have their own brand as an individual, as a person and, and, and be brand agnostic around, you know, being under a company. I think a lot of, we see a lot of solopreneurs that are 
really, really attached to their, um, their company, but at the end of the day, they get hired or they get, you know, they're successful if they, as a human or as an individual is successful. And so I think the same thing with, with employees, like really kill it as an entrepreneur, really kill it with, you know, your work within the company and not just your day-to-day role, see where you can, um, you know, give back to your, to your community and your job or, um, you know, start something within. And I think that's, that's, it's an opportunity to learn as much as possible. I think people should be in jobs to learn as much as possible so that they can be an entrepreneur at some point in their life, or if not start running or get their project going at a smaller scale. And I think what an important tool that's in um, one of my early chapters of the book, it's on finding your sweet spot. I think our sweet spot's not just something that we discover. I think we have to develop it. We have to work at it. And, it, and that's where I think being in a job is great because you can, uh, you have a little bit of room for failure and to learn and you're not expected to always be the expert. And, um, and you have a community, you have resources, you have a lot more, um, you know, you have less risk uh, oftentimes than just being a sole entrepreneur. And so I would say, you know, to doing this exercise called uh, sweet spot mapping, where you think about it like you're, you know, think about it like four quadrants where you have, you know, look at your career as a portfolio or your life as a series of projects uh, and not so much like what, you know, as a series of jobs uh, and really think about what projects you excelled at. So what are the projects that people, you know, that you, that you know that you did really well um, and not just work projects, like they could be stuff that you do on an advisory board. They could be volunteer work. They could be personal things too. And so really think about those projects that you, um, you know, really, really excelled at. And then you want to look at what are the projects that people gave you the most positive feedback on. So you got a lot of praise on. And sometimes they, you get taken by surprise because people will tell you things and you're like, wow, I didn't know, you know, you saw that in me or I didn't know I was great at this or I didn't know I did that really well. And it's, we have blind spots, we're humans. And so I think really trying to understand the perspective um, of, of other people, right? I think that goes a long way. And then the third thing to do is to really think about those projects that you really love doing. Uh, you know, you might not be the best at them, but you love doing them. And those activities that you would even do for free because you love doing them so much. So whether it's, you know, you're, you're running, you're, you're, you have a, you're running a podcast or you're writing a book or doing something uh, that you love, like think about those things. And then the fourth quadrant is the most important one because that's where we often quiet our inner voices and we don't listen to ourselves enough. And that's, uh, it's the open to testing uh, area. So that's the projects that you're open to testing. So some of those ideas that you have late at night, uh, you know, that you're wake up at three in the morning and you're like, oh, and then you don't write it down or some of those those projects on your back burner that you never get to, maybe they're slightly out of your comfort zone. Maybe you're like, I don't know if I have the time, but I know I really need to do this. It's those projects. Think about how you can scale down and start with baby steps or micro steps and and just get them going because those are the projects uh, that you often have to develop more skills in, but they're projects or skills or things that you can be very successful at oftentimes, or you test and you iterate and you pivot in a different direction. So like for me, it was you know, public speaking or certain things that I was very uncomfortable doing. And I never thought that I would ever do it. And, uh, and I was always a behind the scenes, you know, desk person. And, and then just trying some of those things, I got invited to some, some, some events or certain things. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it. And it was, it was, it's those, those projects that, or those skills or activities that I think we need to pay attention to. And I think we could be more successful as innovators or entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, if we um, take on more of those open to testing um, projects. 
I like the idea of open to testing. Now, we have a lot of challenges facing us in the world, and this podcast is rooted in this idea of sustainability. I see that we have a huge opportunity. Like, I think we have an opportunity now to reinvent a lot of things that we've taken for granted in the past. And that's opening the door for many people to step into themselves and express themselves in a different way. What are your thoughts on sustainable innovation and how we can do more to lift it and support it? Yeah, so sustainable innovation is a whole topic of its own. I would say that um, there's a lot on that. I think right now we're seeing a lot of really neat stuff with the younger generations uh, that are trying to clean up all the mess from uh, you know, the past uh, few decades that you know things have really there's there's some serious issues we have in the world that we're trying to figure out how to solve um whether it's through social enterprise or you know corporate innovation like you know social innovation through 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 companies and there's different means but ultimately i think that we need to have more conversations with the different stakeholders so i think coming together and really embracing diversity i think sometimes we we hear like you know great minds think alike and i really think that great minds think differently and so I think we need to, to bring different minds together to solve that. I was actually just in a conference this morning on food security uh, in Cairo, and it was uh, interesting because, well, it was virtual, but it was interesting because it was all these different stakeholders from different countries that were coming together to discuss these things. And I think even, especially now in this virtual world, we need to have more of those conversations uh, with different stakeholders and, and make that a thing. And so I would say for sustainable innovation, I'd say that the first thing to do is a, if you're like an individual that's trying to, to figure this out and um, you know do something, whether you're a leader in a company or you're, you're, you're a business owner and you're trying to figure out how to incorporate that, I would say that first start with yourself. And um, again, with innovation starts with I, so do some self-ideation. So really look at your, your, your passions, uh, what frustrates you, so your values, uh, you know, your skills, your experience, and try to figure out what can, how can you inject your uniqueness into the world? Um, and I would say the first, the second thing to do after you do that self-ideation is to start adding value to people wherever you can. So whether it's doing some volunteer work, um, some experteering, uh, to, you know, just go to a different country or, or, or virtually help uh, other people however you can, um, really trying to bring your expertise and your value. I think that goes a very long way. I think we need to prioritize giving more. And we learn a lot about ourselves, but we also get some really great ideas when we do some of those activities um, that are you know, just, just giving value to people. And then the third is to really embrace failure. I think that if we were, if more people embrace failure, we would see more uh, innovation happening on the, in the sustainability front because a lot of times it's, they're very big, hairy problems and how do we solve these things? And we do have to go through those cycles of iteration and learning to get to that point of you know a good idea becoming a great idea, we don't start with great ideas usually. So, uh, and then you know pivoting when it's time to pivot. I think oftentimes we 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 don't know when it's time to stick or let go. Um, evaluating the risk and all this sort of stuff. There's 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 just so much to to really think about and, but also listening to our inner voices and when is it time to pivot because, it's a lot of times we, we, we just give up or we say this is not gonna work. And sometimes we just need to have the right conversation or we need the right training or the right skills or technology. And, and we let go of those ideas or we let go of those projects. And so, so I do, I, I go through that four step process. That's interesting. You just touched on pivoting. And I guess my question is, what would be your criteria for knowing it's time to pivot? 
Great question. I actually interviewed, uh, was it Doug Gallen from Rippleworks Foundation, who uh, they do a lot of, uh, you know, connecting social entrepreneurs with um, Silicon Valley mentors. And so they, they have a really interesting business model. Uh, but yeah, he mentioned to me that it's important to evaluate, you know, what are the three uh, critical risks? So then you would know when you do that analysis, um, is it time to stick and keep going? Is it time to let go? Or is it time to pivot? So really thinking about the risks and, and doing some, you know, coming from the economics world, probably doing some cost benefit analysis on that front as well. If there's a way you can kind of evaluate, you know, is this the path? Um, what are the risks? Uh, what are the benefits? And in doing that analysis, I think that can go a long way. If there's a way to simplify it, I would say, you know, go in, do a 100 coffee challenge, as I mentioned, go and talk to 100 people, uh, you know, talk to people from different, different walks of life, different cultures, different industries, especially not just your own industry. I think that that gives a lot of insight so that you're not just putting all the weight on yourself for making that decision. Uh, and especially talking to, you know, industry experts, I think oftentimes we, um, we do have to diverge and talk to different people, but I also think that there's a certain level of, um, especially if you, if you are, um, you know, trying to innovate and you're trying to scale your business, uh, it's a, there's a lot of lack of mentorship that's really connected to industry expertise. And, and that's something that um, actually RippleWorks Foundation is uh, trying to tackle by connecting those industry expert mentors and stuff. So, so I think really thinking about that is key. Um, how can people find out more about you? Yeah, so they can um, they can follow me on social media. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So I, I think you can put in the show links my, my LinkedIn URL. I'm also active on uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. It just the handle is at Salima Villani. And the book is called Innovation Starts With I. And as you mentioned, it's going to be released later this spring. So People can pre-order it already. We had a we had a successful Indiegogo campaign last year, and um, you know we've we've we're still taking pre-orders, and so that's that's um, yeah, those are the different ways. Or they can visit my website salimavalani.com and subscribe to the newsletter. That's another great way to stay in touch. Perfect. Thanks so much for joining us on the show, Salima. It's been wonderful hosting you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Catherine, for having me. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you today by Career Sketching with Catherine Ann Byam and the space where ideas launch. Career Sketching is a leadership development and coaching brand offering personalized career transition and transformation services. The space where ideas launch offers high performance group leadership coaching and strategy facilitation to businesses in the food and health sectors. To find out more, contact Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.